0: The Strive 2-Week Online Boot Camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right. David, you grab that side, I'll grab this side, and we will stretch this dollar. Are you ready?
1: <laughs> all set All
0: right. welcome to Money Savage Further this is George Grambacher our guest today is David Bremer. he is the founder and chief sales scientist at Cerebral Selling and he is the author of Sell the Way You Buy I'm excited to have you on David tell us a little bit about your personal life some more about your work and why you do what you do
1: awesome well look thanks for having me on george so yeah so you know i i'm kind of like i describe myself as the bob ross of selling like i'm one of these like happy accidents (laughs) because not because i'm an exquisite painter but you know most of us especially in the sales world get into sales by accident you know it's not something we learn in college or university and it's something that's very accessible to most americans you know one in nine americans are in sales but uh, i started my career like like everyone else i got into sales by accident i was uh, ironically a research scientist before getting into sales at the turn of the dot com boom so around 99 2000 absolutely fell in love with sales because i thought of sales almost like a bit of an engineering problem right like when i when i say it like this the customer gets it when i say it like that they don't and so I started getting like really into kind of persuasive science and sales psychology. Um, and after 20 years being in sales across four amazing startups and, and five awesome years at a company called Salesforce, which I know a lot, a lot of people probably heard of, um, you know, I, I had fully developed my love of sales. But it actually bothered me a little bit that when you tell people you're in sales – you become the enemy automatically. And so <laughs> so and so it's funny, not only, you know, do you become the enemy, but even as a sales leader and a sales professional, one thing I realized over the years is that I don't really like talking to salespeople. I like to buy stuff. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I like to buy stuff, but I don't like talking to salespeople. And so I tried to combine my 20 years of sales experience and sales leadership building sales machines as well as my background as a research scientist to come up with kind of a way of thinking about sales that is, uh, is empathetic, scientifically proven, accessible, and uh, is really kind of like a, a modern way of selling for uh, for the new generation. So that's that's what I do. That's why I do it.
0: Nice. I appreciate that how long do you think you're going to be able to use that whole Bob Ross selling do you think you got like <laughs> tw- 10 10 20 years left before people uh, before millennials and then the generation after them have any idea what you're talking about
1: well, it's 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 a good point, because sometimes you use like, you know, the, the, the A-team Ghostbusters references. Mm-hmm. In fact, the start of my book, the very first chapter says that one of my favorite movies growing up was the 1984 classic The Karate Kid, and I kind of relate back some some Cobra Kai, you know, tactics, and I use the phrase Cobra Kai, and people know it because not from the 1984 movie per se, but because there's been a YouTube series and it's been part of pop culture. So I'm hoping that Bob Ross continues. Uh, you know, it's been a while since Bob Ross, but I'm hoping he continues uh, to be persuasive, pervasive in our, our culture, so I can I can keep that on. But you're absolutely right to, to point that out. Got to be careful.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I bet I bet he is all over YouTube in in, in one one form, fashion or another. Anyway, what you, you mentioned that one in nine Americans are like I, I guess in some kind of a sales career or function. But you and I were talking before we got on and I I made the comment that that we're all in sales in one form or function. Do you agree with that?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. Not only do I uh, agree with that, but there's data to support. So one of my favorite, if you want to call it non-sales selling books, is Dan Pink's book uh, called To Sell as Human. And, you know, he was the one who did this initial research into like, well, how many people in America are actually in sales? And according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, it's about one in eight, one in nine. But when he did his survey, he said, you know, hey, look, you may not think you're in sales, but What percentage of your job every day would you say involves moving someone? He uses the term moving, like emotionally moving, moving someone from one position to the next. And he found that in some jobs like that can be, you know, maybe for your listeners here, like ask yourself. I mean, you're a financial advisor. I mean, there's a lot of people who who do all sorts of jobs. You're an engineer. How much of your day actually involves moving people from one position to the next? And he found that actually for some of us, it can be upwards of 80 percent of our job involves, you know, quote unquote, non-sales selling. So it's actually quite a pervasive, um, you know, uh, action in in most jobs in America.
0: Yeah. And to your point as well, most people do not want to be sold, but we do want to buy. So tell me a little bit about this idea of, of selling the way that you buy.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, you know, we were talking before as well, you mentioned you have a couple of kids, I have three kids as well. And I don't know about you, when your kids come to you, and they're about to, like, hit you up for something, like, a, they want to live somewhere, or they want to download an app, or, you know, they want to have, like, some snack that they're not supposed to have. I don't know about you, when my kids come to me with that kind of stuff, like, I can tell immediately right before they <laughs> like in the first half a second we're like that like okay the answer is no right and so do you, do you feel me yes 100 yes so so like and i ask people like when you get a call from a telemarketer for example how long does it take you to tell them that they're reading from a script yeah right like pretty quick very quick and so you know i do believe that human beings are we're very perceptive right and when we get something that almost like feels like a pitch, like we feel like we're being pitched, we become automatically resistant, right? And so the idea behind sell the way you buy, there's kind of two – there's two principles. Number one is there's an empathetic component, which is as a salesperson, sometimes, sometimes we kind of you – know, we, we act as though we can treat people differently, like we're in sales mode. Right? We're like, oh, well, I'm, excuse me, sir, like I'm flashing my sales badge at you and say, excuse me, George, like I'm just going to treat you like a jerk here for the next half hour because <laughs> it's OK. I'm in sales. It's OK. Right. But but that's not how it works. And so oftentimes we don't use tactics that would work on us if we found ourselves on the buying side. So there's that empathetic component of like just don't use tactics that wouldn't work on you if you were in your customer's position. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, for most of us, the way we actually buy and the forces that move us to purchase are not something that we're conscious of. That's not the way our brain works. We don't walk into the, you know, I was listening to to your podcast about the genes. We don't walk into the, you know, the gene store and say, you know what, I'm feeling exceptionally, you know, uh, uh, thrifty today or I'm feeling exceptionally rich today, I think I will invest in this life. Like we have just an emotional gut reactions to the things that we buy, whether it's clothes, the, the, the car that we drive, the food that we order for lunch. But the thing is, we're not often conscious of what those forces are. And so when we say sell the way you buy, the idea is to really unpack scientifically the way we make purchasing decisions so that when we wanna to try to be more persuasive and, and sell to others, we can operate along those same pathways.
0: Okay. So how does one begin to do that? How do we begin to unpack that?
1: Yeah. Well, like, you know, the first thing is to realize that, you know, the number one thing that people buy, and this is, you know, oftentimes we, we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that people buy solutions. Like you have a problem, I'm going to go like find a solution to that problem. But really the thing people buy first and foremost is feelings. They buy emotions first and foremost. And you know, this, for example, when you come home at the end of a long day and you say to yourself, you know what I deserve, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, what do you deserve, George?
0: At the end of a long day, sometimes I like to have a beer.
1: There you go. Okay, now, look, if I was, you know, evaluating your decision to have a beer and say, okay, was this, does this make the most logical sense for George to have a beer? Like, no, it makes no logical sense. Like, if I were to, you know, for example, if you're a listener here, if I were to ask you to write down everything that you ordered for lunch in the last month, and then I told you I'm gonna take that list and I'm gonna show that list to your doctor, <laughs> and right? And your doctor's gonna vote on how often, what percentage of the time did George eat the best thing for him for lunch? You know, we, the, the laugh tells it all, right? Like, yeah. okay, it's not most of the time, at the very least, right? And so the idea is like we buy feelings first and foremost, from the car that you drive, to the clothes that you wear, to the technology, to the investments that you make, to how you spend your money If I were to ask you, like, think about if you're listening here, think about something you spend money on that another person would look at that thing and say, that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. We all have those things. And so first and foremost, we buy feelings. And so it's really important to understand that feelings are what drive most of our purchasing decisions.
0: Got it. So. I am in a particular role. I'm just trying to trying to back into how people can in whatever whatever capacity or, or job they're in, or as a parent, how do they, how do they then start to actually apply this in their life?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that we always, uh, mistake is that people walk around thinking about our products and services all day long. So let, let's say you're a financial advisor <laughs> sure. and you have all these investments, right. That you could put people into like, People aren't necessarily walking around saying to themselves, you know what? You know what investments I'd like to get into? I'd like to get into more of this and more of that. So when George shows up and says, hey, I got, I got these investments. What do you think? They say, that's awesome. I've been, this is what I've been searching for the whole time, right? That's not what they do. They don't walk around thinking about our products and services. What they do walk around sometimes thinking about are their own problems. Right, their sure. own problems and challenges, and so what we need to be doing is positioning. Whatever it is, we're you I'm going to say quote unquote selling because maybe you are one of these you know 12 percent of people that are in 11 percent people in a in a bona fide sales role, but maybe you're just a non sales seller, right? And you're trying to you know move someone from their position to yours. Focusing on the problem or the enemy is often a much better place to start. So, like for example. Um, you know, let's say I was, there's a company actually based in Chicago called Trunk Club. Do you you know Trunk Club at all, George? Yeah, I think I've heard of them. So Trunk Club. So what, what do they actually do? Let's say I was trying to be in sales for Trunk Club. What do they actually do? It's a service and that started as a service for men. They were actually acquired, um, a little while ago, a few years ago by Nordstrom, but they're a service for men, and what you would do is you would go in and you would put your measurements and your the clothes that you like to wear and all this kind of stuff in their system. And every month, a, a a person, a virtual stylist, would pick out clothes and ship those clothes to you, like in a box. And whatever clothes you liked, you kept, and whichever ones you didn't like, you sent back. Trunk Club, that's what it was. But that's not what they when they you know try to c- communicate what their value was to other people. They started with the enemy, and the enemy. Was men who love to dress well, but hate to shop. Shop. There you go. Right. We were talking about this before. So I'm a man and I love to dress well, but I hate to shop. Right. Trunk and, I, and now Trunk Club says, "Hey, look, we're for men who love to dress well and, and hate to shop." Now you're leaning in and you're saying, "Trunk Club, like, what do you what do you do? This is really interesting because I'm a man and I love to dress well and I hate to shop." So the idea is to lead with. The enemy, you know, and there's lots of examples of of companies who do this really well where they're leading with the problem because the problem is going to be the emotional hook that's going to draw your customer in, and then you can start talking about the the product, the actual product and service you provide.
0: Got it. I love it. I think that that makes all sense in the world. That is a great example right there. Okay. So, when we're trying to move people, focus on really what the problem is, recognize that. People are going to um, buy emotions and feelings first and then, I guess, back it up with evidence of some kind.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. Well, that's the way humans make decisions. I mean, if you've ever come home with something or had a, let's say, a spouse or partner that ever comes home with something, maybe it's my wife. She comes home. God bless my wife. She comes home one day and she says, you know, uh, hey, David, I, I, I got this jacket. And, you know, the great thing about this jacket is that it was the last one in my size. And it's the perfect color. It goes with everything that that I have, and it's perfect for all of these events I'm going to wear it to, and, and the temperature outside. Like that's often referred to as post-purchase rationalization, right? You bought something, now you just want to, you know, you want to create the emotional comfort to make sure that you are, you know, uh, you are satisfied with that purchase. And so, um, we use emotions before, during, and after purchases, and that's really the way we have to sell.
0: Nice. So I just take us into the time machine and. If you don't mind applying this to Salesforce, what would the emotional trigger be
1: to the Salesforce, to the company?
0: Yeah. No, no. I I mean, I mean, I mean, the company Salesforce.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like so like suppose I was working at Salesforce and how would I position the yeah. products and services? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, cause people don't care about, oh, you sell CRM or you sell customer success or you sell marketing automation, you know, and we used to say things like, you know, look, you know, you're trying to connect with your customers, but. The reality is your customers are getting harder to reach than they used to be, and they're already 70% of the way through the sales cycle of whatever they're trying to buy yeah. before they even reach out to you, hmm. right? So how do you connect with a customer who is, you know, more skeptical, peer-driven, harder to reach than ever before, right? And I, and again. We're not trying to to sell. Uh, I haven't talked about any products, right? Yeah. The goal is for you to lean in. We would say things, you know, what people are busy nowadays, and in the rise of kind of the mobile workforce, we said, you know, as a busy entrepreneur, George, like you should be able to run your business from your phone. Like you shouldn't be tethered to your desk all day long. Right. Right. So again, like I'm not. You don't even know if I have a product for this, right? But what I'm doing is I'm speaking the language of my customers' pain. And the beauty of speaking the language of your customer's pain is that if your customer has that pain, if you are a man that loves to dress well but you hate to shop, then you're going to lean in and you're going to say, well, tell me more about like what is this service that you have. But if you're a man who loves to dress well and loves to shop – these men exist, George, from what I've been told <laughs> – then you're going to say, well, then this is not for me, right? Like I, I like to go to the store. I like to shop. And that's a good thing. Right? Because when your customers, when these customers come into your sales funnel, they, they kind of reach out to you and say, hey, look, this sounds really interesting. They're going to have a much higher degree of intent right? versus the ones who are turned off by what you said. Like, so this is this idea of uh, when you pick an enemy, you are by default polarizing. right? You're going to figure out you're going to be on one side of this argument to the other. The customers who are like the two out of tens that aren't really interested in what you have to do, they're not going to call you right which is a good thing they're not going to be gumming up the works and taking up your time you're going to get more higher intense customers because they've fallen in love with the same enemy that you have
0: nice i love it so now let's let's arm your children with the tools that they need to be able to move you to where they want to move you to <laughs> <laughs> how, how 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 old is the uh, oldest one
1: my oldest one is 14, actually. Okay,
0: so this is perfect. You need to arm this child with the ability and and and, and the tools to move David. So
1: we, we do. you know, we do, we actually do this quite often. I mean, so my kids, I'm very grateful. They're, I have I three kids. They're super proud of me. They you know they oh they, we dad. We can't believe you wrote a whole book and you know your name's <laughs> on it and the whole thing. But um but sometimes my 14 year old will come to me, and or my wife and she'll 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 be like, dad, Ma, like be, like with that tone right mm-hmm. and and we're like okay back it up try it again but with like with more conviction this time right because if you have conviction and this is another thing when people buy feelings and you see this all the time and i you know this is not a politically charged statement but politicians are very good at this politicians are very good at speaking with conviction and using facts and data that sound right even if they're not for sure right? And so this idea of the conviction is a very powerful, persuasive tactic in sales. When we, when we hear people that, that sound like they know what they're talking about, it inspires confidence in us. And that's the, that's the lesson we often give our kids is like, no, if you're going to like, if you're, you know, hey, look, if you're tentative, you're not sure about something, that's okay. But if you're sure about something and you believe that there's value in what you're asking for, then like ask for it with conviction. The person on the other end is more likely to listen.
0: Got it. So when 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 somebody picks up the book are are you are you hoping that they will well let me just ask a better question what what do you hope people get out of reading the book
1: yeah well so look you know one of the reasons why i do what i do is because i i love sales i love the sales profession i believe sales is the best profession in the world when done correctly but it still bothers me that when you know when you ask people like what's who do you think of when you think about a salesperson? They think about someone who's negative, right? There's not that many professions in the world where that happens. Sure. And so part of my mission is to to do what I can to elevate the sales profession, so that you know, 10, 20 years from now, you know, the the sellers of the future um, will have a much easier time, uh, just in terms of the perception of the profession overall. So that's kind of number one. Why I, number one? Why I wrote the book. But number two, you know, I do believe that everyone is is struggling, especially nowadays, to have their voice heard. There are so many solutions. There's so many providers in the market. Both what you and I do, there's like a million people that do what we do. For sure. Right. And so the question is like, how do we stand out? And that problem is only going to get worse, right? There's only going to be more and more people that do what we do. And I'm not just talking about people in the sales profession. You know, if you're a personal trainer, you're a hairstylist, you're a, a financial planner, you know, you're a banker, whatever it is you do, we're all in this position. And so what I'm hoping to do, this is a book. It's actually it's a sales book not just for salespeople. It's a sales book for everyone to understand how to be more persuasive in your kind of you know selling motion by understanding a little bit about human nature. So there's there's a lot of great stories there. There's a lot of um, science. There's a lot of data and statistics to help arm you with the tactics and conviction you need to be more persuasive in your you know in your your growth activities. Quite honestly,
0: love it. David, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of the book?
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. The, it's, the, everything that I have is on my website. So my website is cerebralselling.com. One one word. It's my business, cerebralselling.com. And I actually give away a ton of content for free. So I have uh, you a know, blog. I have a YouTube channel also called Cerebral Selling, which you can access from the website. Um, and you can find out more information about the book there as well. The book is called "Sell the Way You Buy," and if you just search up "Sell the Way You Buy" on uh, your favorite bookseller—Amazon, Barnes and Noble—if you're in Canada, uh, Indigo—you will find it there.
0: Perfect, Savage Nation. If you enjoyed this as much as I did, show David your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to CerebralSelling.com. Check out all the great resources on his blog and his YouTube channel, and pick up a copy of. Learn to sell the way you buy wherever you buy books. Thanks again, David.
1: Pleasure, George. Thanks for having me.
0: And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.